You are listening to the Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are at the Monasterio de Tenturía. Hello, buenas tardes from La Vuelta a España. My name is Daniel Freeber. I am the host of tonight's episode. And as you heard our friend Rob Hatch just say, I am at the Monasterio de Tenturía. The monastery of hold the day, so called because Pele Perez de Correa of the Order of Santiago supposedly pleaded with the Virgin Mary to delay nightfall so he could repel Muslim invaders in the 13th century, as discussed yesterday. A lot was discussed yesterday in yesterday's podcast. Some of it scurrilous, scandalous, controversial, contentious. There'll be none of that tonight, of course, because joining me from Pietra Santa in Tuscany, it is the former Leopard Trek team manager, Team CSC, Team Sky and Orica Green Edge Communications Manager, now Bon Vivant and wine industry savant, bike racing connoisseur, the fancies Dan on the cycling podcast roster, a man so suave, creative, cultured and dubiously Italian, the fifth teenage mutant ninja turtle would surely have been named after him. It's Remco Avenapol's last remaining nemesis in this Vuelta España. It's Brian Nygaard. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. I, I, I struggle to like, understand how you can keep making this longer, but once again, you manage. Kudos. It doesn't seem like the third week for you at all. <laughs> less content, less real content, more introductions. That's the recipe. That's the winning it. formula, Excellent. Brian. Um, Brian, Remco's last remaining nemesis in this Vuelta a España. Of course, yesterday we had the terribly sad news that, well, Primoz Roglic was going to struggle in struggle to finish this Vuelta a España. We thought that he might pull out with his injuries, the injuries that he incurred in yesterday's or that he suffered in yesterday's finish. Sure enough, this morning, we pretty much woke up to the news that he wasn't starting today's stage. How did you feel about that? And how did you feel about the, the, the murky old business of yesterday's finish? I was thinking if that were to ha- if that had happened at the Giro, I can I can only imagine the party that they would have had at like I said the little sport and certain journalists working there or at least used to be working there would have had like a field day with all those allegations, <laughs> factual or not. As for uh, being Remco's nemesis, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm down to like combing the underbelly of my Siberian cat to try and build a voodoo doll. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> sure, I'm not sure I can do that and be done by the weekend. He shared a lot of fur this summer, so still working on that. Well, it was a strange atmosphere this morning, Brian, because it feel as though the Vuelta a España had been, if not decapitated, it had been, well, it had been deroglified, it had been deprived of, well, that, that, the prospect of that fantastic battle that flickered yesterday for maybe four or five short minutes, probably not even that long, it was more like a minute and a half when Primoz Roglic was off the front, and, well, we were already salivating yesterday uh, as that was coming to pass, we were salivating at the prospect of what was coming over the next few days, and there was a real sense of anticlimax this morning, as well as a lot of things, a lot of mysteries to clear up, as discussed yesterday. Um, there was no, there was no contrite um, apology video from Larry Warbass for, <laughs> for sort of putting a question mark um, behind. Remco Avenapol's puncture yesterday, but we'll hear from Larry tomorrow, so um, he can issue whatever apologies he needs to tomorrow. But there was a lot, a lot of business to clear up at the start. Let's before we go to the stay summary time trial for today, let's just hear from a few of those cats who were heavily involved yesterday or um, had something to say at least of about Primoz Roglic's. DNF retirement withdrawal from the Vuelta a España. We're going to hear from Adi Engels, his Jumbo Visma director sportif. We're also going to hear from Fred Wright, who was involved in Roglic's crash yesterday. We weren't quite sure from his interview after the finish yesterday whether Fred was saying that he had or he hadn't touched Roglic. We'll hear from him. And then we'll also hear from Carlos Verona, teammate, lieutenant to Enric Mas, who, well, he's the last man standing, the last opponent standing in addition to Brian Nygaard. And yeah, pay attention to what Carlos Verona says about the way Movistar were intending to attack today's stage and the remaining stages of the welter. So Adi Engels, Fred Wright, then Carlos Verona. I feel it was in, it was in the fight, you know, and, and what the outcome would have been, we never know. Uh, but, but he was we we and and Primoz himself were not uh, were not ready. Uh, like you say, he took back time in the last three days, uh, and also on a day like yesterday, that he that he did that move. 
uh, that we planned that move showed that we were we were not ready yet and we tried to grab every opportunity. Uh, I also said to you yesterday at the start that there was there was opportunities to come this the last week. Everybody was tired, is tired, uh, and uh, yeah, we were not ready and he was still in the fight. Uh, but now we never know. Update on the medical condition is that uh, this morning they, they went to the hospital for, for some scans which uh, didn't show any any fractures. The other thing is it, it the scans did show uh, a lot of bruises. So uh, and of course what we already could see yesterday uh, there was uh, quite some uh, quite some wounds. Those things together, yeah gave him a lot of pain which 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 was the reason to decide it was not uh, not possible to race and about the crash uh, what what happened is is really hard to say it's it's really hard to see to me it looks like uh, like like really an unlucky race incident because you also don't see uh, don't see uh, a move suddenly so I think just a few things came came together and it was really bad luck without anyone to blame. I felt like there was a bit of contact there, but I, it was just an unfortunate racing incident. And I am so gutted for Roglic because I was looking forward to watching what was going to happen in this race from the bunch, you know. It's, I, I really feel like he was going to challenge for the challenge for the overall lead. And yeah, with how strong he rode yesterday, he didn't, that, he didn't deserve to have that, that happen to him. So yeah, I think... It was just an unfortunate, un unlucky, unlucky one, but it's cycling. It happens. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a bit of a bit of contact at the, the worst possible moment. Like he was he was decelerating and I was accelerating, and you know he was trying to get back into the line just to get the slipstream, and I was you know on Van Poppel potentially trying to come round him. And yeah, I mean it's just so unfortunate for him, and yeah, hopefully. He can recover, recover quickly. Can you afford to take risks and go for the victory? Because you need the UCI points as well. Yes, I mean, I think you cannot do stupid things. We can race aggressive. We, try, we have to try everything. I think Enrique is, if everything goes right and anything happens, I think the podium is quite possible. So yeah, we will try. And I think if Renko cracks and if Enrique finds the opportunity, I think we can go for the first place without uh, risking too much. Emmerich's finished second before, of course. You know, finishing second is not going to change his life now, but finishing first would. Do you feel that he's really motivated trying to win? Yes, I see the hunger on him. I think he has a really hard way, uh, tour, and I think now he's trying to show everyone what is he's capable of. And I think he's really focused. I also see him happy, enjoying La Vuelta, enjoying the, also the public, you know. Like, it's crazy how in a sport things change, no? Like one month ago, a lot of people living in Spain were like blaming on him, no? Like he was not a rider, blah, blah, blah. And now everybody, everybody's on his side, no? So I think he's enjoying now this good moment. And I think he's going to try the maximum for the victory. Second is not enough. Well, Brian, a bit of a battle cry there from Carlos Verona. He said that Movistar very much intended to try to win this Vuelta a España. They weren't thinking about UCI points. They were going to gamble. Did they gamble? Well, let's find out, shall we? Um, I'm going to ask Rob Hash to take it away. El resumen del día a contrarreloj. The stage summary time trial. This is the resumen de la etapa al contrarreloj. Brian Nygaard, you have your time trial bike prepared, polished, um, and I don't know, aeroed up. You're wearing the, the super snood um, endorsed by Remco Avenepoel to very good effect on this Vuelta España. And I'm going to give you 90 seconds to sum up everything that happened today. Off you go. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, so... Stage 17 from Aracena to Monastero del Tentudia, 162 kilometers. Uh, several early attacks until a big strong group went with uh, 120 kilometers to go or 40 kilometers of racing done. 13 riders uh, went clear and got a solid gap. In the final, the first the big attack came from Lawson Craddock. He was reeled in, counter-attacks were had, but it wasn't until the final climb that the stage was decided. Uh, Jesus Serrada did a, a very good dig and it looked 
pretty convincing. He had pokered pretty well up at the and the steeper ramps. Uh, he was though overtaken by Rigo Obert, uh, Rigoberto Ran, who ended up timing it everything to perfection, winning a much needed and very spectacular stage by him at the tender age of 35. Uh, back in the main peloton, there were attacks and. I wouldn't say that Enric Mas was bringing sexy back, but he certainly tried something. But Evan Nepal <laughs> was there. Uh, the only one who really got daylight between him and the favorites were uh, Shaw Almeida. He took a little bit of time, Linus Gerdeman style. Uh, other than that, no. He does look a bit like Gerdeman. Yeah, he yeah. does actually. They both have a rather big behind. Uh, other than that, uh, mm-hmm. Timon Adelsman was dropped, but there weren't any significant time loss. The only reshuffle in the general classification is due to the fact that Remco, Remco sorry, that uh, Roglic is not here anymore. There you are. Wow, uh, one minute. Yeah, you're about on the money there, Brian. Do you know what I noticed earlier? UAE are leading the team classification. I thought I'd mention that, um, lest I forget it later. Movistar, of course, traditionally win the team classification, not only at the Vuelta España, but in all three Grand Tours. They've, they've done that with great regularity over the years, but not going too well for them this uh, thus far this year in the Vuelta, certainly not on team classification score, but looking promising, Brian, looking promising for Emmerich Mass with um, a couple of mountain stages to go, Alto del Piornal tomorrow, and then the stage in the Sierra de Guadarrama, um, where many, many Vueltas a España have been decided over the years. So that's um, there's still something to look forward to, isn't there? We're going to hear a lot more later in the episode about where we think Remco is at, where we think Emmerich Mass is at, whether he will bring Sexy back between now and Madrid at the weekend and Madrid on Sunday. But it was a stage one by Rigoberto Urán. We thought it would finish in a break today. There were a lot of good climbers, strong climbers, climbers with pedigree in that group. And Urán was probably... I mean, it was a, a demi-Ishapé-Royale, wasn't it? Or a full-blown Ishapé-Royale. It was, Brian. It was. It could, as we'll find out in a minute, it could have been even more royale, even more... Um, what's the word? What's the word? Even more sovereign. I don't know. Um, souverain. Majestic. Majestic. That's a better um, royalty-related adjective. Um, because there were, there were rumblings this morning about, well, some, some of the crowned heads of yesteryear getting together and getting away in a breakaway today. And Rigoberto Rant managed it. And there were some disappointed riders at the finish. There were a few other guys who thought they had a really good chance in that break. Gino Maida didn't look very happy at all. Um, Kenny Ellison, well, he's always cheerful, and he was at the finish. And, well, we're going to hear from a couple of the guys who didn't manage to get it done today. We're going to hear from Lawson Craddock, who gamely, well, he got into the breakaway and, as he often does, tried to sort of anticipate the main action um, by getting away before the final climb. Didn't work for him either. And then, finally, we're going to hear from James Shaw, Rigoberto Uran's teammate, just about the experience of hearing that his teammate had won the stage today. So, in order, it's Lawson Craddock, King Kenny Elisant, and James Shaw. So once again, I know, I know I had to just rely on my strengths and, and go early and try to do that. Um, I feel like I played my cards perfectly. I hit the last climb of the gap. Just, once again, the climb race was uh, 1K too long. I've been trying my entire career to, to win a Vuelta. I won the win a stage here at the Vuelta. It's, I think it's one of my all-time favorite races. and, and It truly be a, a huge honor. and. I feel like uh, just so many times over the years, it's just been so close, yet so far away, and uh, just at this point, all, all I can do is keep trying and, and hope I have the legs to pull it off one day. Well, Kenny, lovely ride to get in the break, but was that not quite the right kind of climb for you to win today? No, um, also, I was not uh, planning to go really in a break, uh, <clears throat> but uh, yeah. It was 50, the first 50k was really fast and I started to see like the boys who were supposed to go in the break started to be in trouble so I went. Then I found myself in a really good um, really good group actually. It was really nice to, to be in that strong uh, group and yeah, <clears throat> the shape is getting better and better. So the cold is uh, like every day after the antibiotics every day I feel a little bit better on the bike so I start to find myself a little bit so... Um, yeah, I'm starting to ta- start to take pleasure again to be in the front. But yeah, at the end it was a bit tactic, and I preferred to 
to keep my pace uh, because I was also a little bit in a rate to be honest. And uh, yeah, the last sprint, I, I was just uh, I couldn't go again. Well, just tell us the how did you find out? I guess over the radio and, and what sort of feeling does that give you to know your teammates won? Yeah, it's it's incredible. You know, like uh, obviously with all the points and all the the pressure that comes with this, and uh, I think you know we started the race with Rigo and. He opened up to us a little bit and he said um, he wants to do really well here because his, his time as a professional is ticking. And he says it's a race that's always been in his heart and he's never had the he's never quite had the the result he's ever wanted. So today he said, ah, he's up for it. You know, we'll give it a bash." Um, and we sort of tried to cover a few moves and then he got away in a group and Valverde wanted to be in it Nibali wanted to be in it and Pino wanted to be in it and we were like no the Rolling Stones getting back together <laughs> that was it that was it and we were like alright so we were jumping on them three a few other guys wanted to go and we were we said no this is this is Rigo's day and obviously we, yeah, we, as soon as we got the numbers of who was in there we knew that it, they were they were going to have to ride hard to be him and when he gets that sort of grip between his teeth and like he did today summit finish is perfect for him and yeah and then when I was with Julius in the Gruppetto we found out yeah morale shot through the roof and Rigo well he's larger than life he's wild he's wacky I mean even those who speak Spanish don't really understand him half the time what's he like from your point of view yeah you've hit the nail on that he's he's mad isn't he like uh, I didn't quite realise almost like how famous he is like there's people outside the bus yesterday and they're all chanting for him and and we were playing with the crowd like we'd open the curtain and they'd start going mad and, we'd, and then we'd close it again they'd be like ah then we'd start chanting him again then when he walks out you know everyone goes mad and they're all wanting pictures with him and and you know he's a proper he is a man of the people as well you know he's part of the sport i think he's great for the sport and uh yeah, I think today has done him the world of good as well, and it's certainly done done us the world of good as well. I think, yeah, it's not been an unfair season, but we've had a run of bad luck. With I think we've had an unfair helping of illnesses throughout the year, and obviously the pole points race has put a lot of pressure on us. And you know, I, I do think now that he's the character in the team that has got that snowball rolling now, and I think the rest of the week will be great for us. I think the lads in. Montreal and Quebec will go and they'll go and nail it. The lads will go to the Worlds. Whoever you know, we've we've had to ration who goes to the Worlds because obviously we've got to keep a, an A team here to ride for our points. Um, so I think yeah, now that snowball's rolling, I can see us having a having a cracking last or well, what's left four, three, four weeks to the season maybe, isn't there? So I think this is it now. I think we're I think we're off to a goal. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, our title sponsors. Let's hear again from Sam Brand, who rides for Team Novo Nordisk and recently represented the Isle of Man in the Commonwealth Games. And Sam had some custom-made shoes with the names of 50 type 1 diabetics on because it is a cause very close to his heart because he himself is a type 1 diabetic. I ran a competition for some custom-designed shoes which had uh, the chance to have uh, your name one of 50 names on the shoes just to show that whilst I'm there I'm representing the Isle of Man I don't have my driving change in diabetes team Nova Nordisk jersey on but that's not something that I take lightly it's not something that I forget about so I wanted the shoes to show that I'm still there with the diabetes community I'm racing for the diabetes community and family uh, alongside team Nova Nordisk and um, that was huge for me to be able to show that there's people that I race for this fantastic community and uh, you know it brings a huge smile to my face to show that I had the support of all these people it goes beyond the 50 names but um, what an experience and, and something I'll treasure forever To find out more about Super Sapiens and the system of continuous glucose monitoring go to supersapiens.com 
El diario Remco. The Daily Remco. Yeah, I also feel sad about the news. You know, it's not nice to lose a, a big competitor and a big champion uh, and one of the strongest guys in the race like this. It's uh, a big loss for the race and especially for him and for his team. They've been working hard towards uh, this world. So, uh, yeah, I feel really sorry for them. I think uh, from here on I can just only wish all uh, the best to him and uh, let him recover well. You're the GC leader and we were surprised that Quickstep was not at the front yesterday in those final kilometers. What was going on? We were in the front, we just couldn't see it on the images. No, with around, yeah, the 6K to go or so, we saw Jumbo up front. We didn't see you at all. What was, can you give an idea of what was going on there? You already having troubles or? No, we, uh, we took uh, the descent in the front. I think we went into the last 6, 7K, like top 10, 15. And then uh, all the sprinter teams were coming and uh, I'm a type of rider that doesn't really want to fight with the sprinters because if I push them, I fly away. So uh, I just didn't want to, to uh, yeah, stress myself to get in the top 10 on the climb. So we entered position 20, 30 and Dries brought me to a good position where I would start my attack and then I, my uh, tire just went off. So, uh, I mean, flat. So uh, no troubles with the positioning, just uh, a bit uh, invincible. So, Brian, that was... Remco this morning, Remco Avonapool, fielding questions about what occurred last night. There was an awful lot of, well, there was a lot of pouring over the video clips and forensic analysis of what had actually happened in the last few kilometres yesterday. I, I mean, a lot of people picked up on the fact that he was curiously out of position, or he looked to be out of position. He was a long way back, well before the three the, the sort of 3k to go mark that of course is where the the 3k rule kicks in and that is where his hand went up i mean his hand went up to signal a puncture somewhere i think between 3k to go and three and 2.5k to go and i suppose the obvious conclusion or the com- conclusion that a lot of people drew was that the puncture had occurred sometime before the 3k to go mark um, and that would explain why he was a long way back Nothing wrong with with waiting until you're inside the 3K to go. In fact, that's smart bike riding, also strong bike riding. I mean, if you had a puncture at 6K to go and still managed to hold on until 3K to go, then that's kudos, that's sort of chapeau to him. Um, But what did you make of it all? Yeah, I was also looking at it with with great curiosity because it was a a pretty peculiar situation. But I think the way, if if you look at it in hindsight and... You know, I was also looking at, at at the footage again and again. I I think I think you're right, and I think the the decisions that were made were based on a puncture that came early, and that he then sort of you know made sure that he got in within the three kilometer mark before racing in hand and all that. That that all makes perfect sense, um, and it also would explain that why he was sitting so far back at a, at a pretty crucial time in the final with you know with, with especially with that type of final and with Roglic getting. Uh, getting ahead of him so i think that all makes sense uh, i wouldn't have it down to like no offense i guess if i can say that at this point to to um to remco to make that type of decision i think that decision was made in the in the sports director's car about waiting for changing the flat uh, rear tire the rear wheel sorry yeah i mean i think it's just, it's something that goes on um, almost universally, isn't it? I mean, there is a question. There was a lot of talk this morning, some debate about the validity of the 3K rule. There was also talk of the yesterday being classified as a sprint stage, yeah. in yeah. effect, and the 3K law applying, whether it should or it shouldn't. I said in the podcast yesterday that if you've got a finale where a GC rider is minded to try to drop a rival, then that suggests to me that it's not a, a sprint stage. It's, the three-kilometer rule shouldn't apply. It should be classified as a, an uphill finish and there were no murmurs to the extent or to the to the effect that teams and riders weren't aware of the way yesterday's stage had been classified but you know the other the other question i suppose is mechanicals whether mechanicals should be lumped in with this three kilometer rule um should they can be considered as crashes are um to merit a neutralization in effect for that rider i i've always thought that they probably shouldn't just because teams make a, a, a big fuss about having the best equipment and also also choosing equipment which is not going to fail in effect and a lot of the teams now are on tubeless tires sort of self-sealing tires when riders do get punctures um so they can kind of mitigate that they can guard against that which to me is another argument for maybe 
extracting mechanicals and punctures from um, that 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 law or that that regulation. Mm, I, th- I think it's a it's a tough one, Daniel, uh, because I think that would actually potentially cause more crashes, and I think that's something that we also want to avoid, and something that's been discussed a lot, especially in connection with the three kilometer to go rule. And I, I think the one thing, and that's not, you know, I'm not trying to criminalize anyone here, but it, it could be used to your own advantage. You would be cheating, but if you, you know, if you had an issue, let's, especially, you know, the way we were looking at yesterday when we didn't have all the facts in front of us, it could be, you know, interpreted as someone trying to bend the rules because they were in a, you know, in a sticky situation. Um, so I understand the impetus for that, but at the, at, you know, at, at the same time, I didn't want. I wouldn't want to see someone, especially say in a grand tour, not this one, but in a grand tour where things were being very, very close. Imagine if there was a sprint on the in the last day or second last day, and someone had a puncture, then it would change the 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 podium after three weeks of racing because of a puncture within three kilometers. I think that would be a little bit silly, also. Brian, you were playing paying close attention. At least I hope you were to the final climb today. Did the way Remco Evenepoel rode today and how comfortable he did or didn't look in response to those attacks, particularly from Enric Mass, did that offer any clues as to what may have been happening in the finale yesterday? I mean, obviously, one of the hypotheses yesterday was that he was on a bad day and he was struggling. And, you know, whatever he did or didn't do was linked to that. Um, no. They, they, but, but today, today yeah. he looked, he looked um, you know, back to, well, if not back to the... Remco we saw towards the start of the world. So he looked fine, didn't he? He looked absolutely fine. He was completely, you know, in, in control. Looking at Mas, who was who was attacking, and I mean, I've seen freshly dug up mummies who have a, a more interesting facial expression than him when he's riding bike races. You can't, oh you can't, you can't really tell with Mas. But being the one that was attacking, he looked like he was in a in a bigger. Uh, closer to the red zone than than Evenepoel certainly was. He was suffering a lot more. And Evenepoel, I wouldn't say that he half wheeled him, but it almost looked that way. He was absolutely fine. He he wasn't faced at all. And he was. I think he was also. You know, it, it, it didn't matter to him that Almeida took a little time as he did. So if if Evenepoel was in on the downward slope yesterday, he certainly wasn't today. And I think retrospectively, that also tells me that he was absolutely fine yesterday. Well, I don't know whether Enric Mass was just being playful, but we will hear him later hint that he saw something today, possibly in Remco Evenepoel, maybe in his team, that he thinks he can exploit between now and Madrid or now and Saturday afternoon after the finish um, of that stage on Navasera. And Brian, we heard earlier James Shaw talk about this, well, this planned... Um, reunion or, or union of these kind of four rolling stones of the international peloton Uran, Valverde, <laughs> Pino and who is the other one? Another golden oldie um, Valverde, Nibali, Uran oh and Pino, that's it, four um, and it was, only, well, it was only Mick Jagger that managed to get into the break today and he ended up winning the stage Rigoberto Uran and well, he gave a very entertaining press conference, larger than life, as we said there to James Shaw, as you heard him say. And, you know, he's really leaning into this role. I've seen it at the Vuelta Espana. We've gone into the big cities, particularly, and there have been a lot of Colombian fans there. Um, of, well, he's the darling of the Colombian fans. Of all of the, the riders that have emerged and been successful over the last few years, Uran is the one who, I think he's courted the kind of popular attention more than the others. Um, he's an unashamed extrovert and as I say that's something that he's really embracing more and more as time goes by um you know often goes off on unusual tangents a bit like this podcast in interviews and um today was sorry gone I love seeing him win you know he's I think he's the most sort of consistent personality that we've had from the comings and the goings of the of the Colombians I I have to admit I, I quite like Egan Bernal as well, but I think sort of as as someone who's sort of the grand, not the grandfather, but the the godfather of current uh, no mafia <laughs> uh, indications, you know, intended. I think he's also very embracive of the other, like his competitors who are Colombians on other teams, and I, f- I find that to be really a nice po- um, character characteristic of of Uran. I've of, I've also seen the opposite of of a lot of jealousy between the Colombian riders. 
Uh, I'm smiling as I say this because no names will be mentioned, but I, I find that Rigoberto is really... I know who you're talking about, but carry yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I find that Rigoberto is, is actually, he's quite happy with the success of the other Colombian riders. And, and he showed today that he's, he's still a real racer, isn't he? And I, I, yeah, I've, I, I really, I've, I've really taken a quite liking to, to Rigoberto, more than I can say for, for some of the other Colombian riders. <laughs> I'm not going to indulge you on that. But Brian, it's interesting because, well, it's maybe something that we'll dwell on a bit more later in the week because it was a subject that I wanted to tackle in this Vuelta a España. How um, having three or four years ago seemed poised to take over, dominate professional cycling and well, certainly stage races for the next generation, really, maybe the next decade. The Colombians have taken a bit of a backward step over the last two or three years. Um, a few of them have plateaued. We haven't had this, we haven't had the same new wave of sort of 21 22 year old colombian talents that we've had from other nations and there there aren't really any on the horizon i mean santiago buitrago was here at the welter and he had to leave the welter through covid but and he's been about the most promising in the last few months certainly in that age group of 22 23 24 year olds and there's certainly no one you would say looks ready to challenge pogacar and vingegaard over the next two or three years and Uran is very much at the end of his career i mean he's had a fantastic um he's had a fantastic run eight top 10s in Grand Tours, second in 2017 Tour de France, that was probably his crown and glory as a rider and um, twice second in the Giro, silver in the Olympics of course Well I also think he's, he's, he has a big um, part in making cycling really popular in Colombia, you know, obviously you need big stars, you need riders and you need young riders and, and different riders for people to identify with and, and, and create a fan base around but I think he's He's become a household name in Colombia in in ways that maybe Bernal is up there because of his results. But I think as a personality, as a sports personality, uh, Rigoberto is is on his own level. I think he's widely popular throughout Colombia, even if you don't know cycling that well. It was also interesting, both in his press conference and in the interview we heard from James Shaw, that they both mentioned UCI points and EF education have kind of been on the fringe of the relegation battle, and that's how we're referring to it. Um, the, the the fact that well, two current World Tour teams look likely to lose their well, will lose their license at the end of the year. It looks at the moment as though Lotto Sudan and Israel Premier Tech of the teams in most jeopardy but that's going to be an interesting topic to conjure with as well over the next few days I mean we heard as well this morning Carlos Verona talk about the risk that um, Enric Mas is going to have to run if he wants to try and win this Vuelta España because Movistar as well of course desperately desperately need the points but that's something to I think look out for over the next few days and particularly with regard to Movistar Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This is El Ritmo de la Vuelta, your daily invitation to merengue with me back to more innocent times in Vuelta España history, to a time in fact when podcasters didn't scurrilously accuse Play-Doh smudges of deroglifying the last five days of entertainment at a Vuelta España when grassy knolls were fourth cat climbs and not stakeouts for a conspiratorial looking Larry Warbass. As I said, there'll be more from Larry tomorrow. We, we're going we're gonna to hold him to account tomorrow for some of the scurrilous accusations that he made yesterday. Um, we're going to have a bit of a Spanish inquisition with him about Remco's puncture then. 
Today, anyway, Brian, we're going back to 2010 for reasons that will become obvious in just a few minutes. The official song that year was Otra Oportunidad, or Another Chance, by the Madrid band Preciados. The group had got its name from the Calle Preciados, where they habitually met and recorded. They said in interviews that their biggest influences were the Beatles, and their hairstyle certainly resembled those of the Fab, Fab Four, although their music, alas, invited more convincing comparisons with McFly. Nowadays, the Preciados have reinvented themselves under a new appellation, the Chicken Band. Vuelta was an otra oportunidad, another chance to decide once and for all on the colour for the race's leader's jersey. This edition was the first for the Mayot Rojo and the red jersey, which replaced the previous golden incarnation and indeed survives to this day. The race began with a late night team time trial in Seville, where I stayed last night and very beautiful it was too. And the first ever wearer of that red jersey, Brian, was who? Team time trial in Seville. Who do you think it was? 2010. Fabian Cancellara? Yeah, Mark Cavendish. Oh. Um, to whom we should also offer our congratulations for the birth of his baby daughter, Astrid, the other day. Um, Cavendish would end up winning three stages in that Vuelta while the general classification turned into an unlikely head-to-head battle between the 25-year-old Italian Vincenzo Nibali, third in the Giro earlier that year, but starting his first Vuelta a España, and the Galician former carpenter, Ezequiel Mosquera, who had ridden his first Grand Tour in 2007 at age 31. Nibali would finally kill Mosquera with his consistency, failing to win a stage but steady eddying through the time trials and mountain stages. Mosquera's final throw of the dice on the Bola del Mundo, which was getting its world premiere, couldn't unseat Nibali, although it did bring Mosquera a stage win and secure his second place on the podium in Madrid. Unfortunately, both were later annulled when it emerged that Mosquera tested positive for hydroxyethyl starch, thought to be a masking agent for EPO. He would later win an appeal on a technicality, although the UCI and La Vuelta have never reinstated him to the official final 2010 classification. Nowadays, he runs the Galician O Gran Camino stage race won this year by Alejandro Valverde. Also that year, Brian Nygaard unscrupulously poached Stuart O'Grady and Andy Schleck from Saxo Bank and sent them on a massive bender during the Vuelta, which <laughs> resulted in Saxo Bank sending them home. <laughs> We've already had that story, haven't we? This is worse than, than Larry yesterday. You're just like <laughs> continuing down the same alley of fake news. But yeah, go ahead. Indulge Boulevard, me. Boulevard, <laughs> Boulevard presser, as one of the Belgian, one of our Belgian colleagues said to us this morning. And um, Brian, yeah, we have a, we won't, we're not going to revisit the, the story of Stuart O'Grady and Andy Schleck's bender in 2010. Um, I, I can't remember which episode that was, but you'll find that in the archives of this this year's cycling podcast for Vuelta a España coverage. Um, but in this part, Brian, we're going to talk about the winner of that 2010 Vuelta a España, Vincenzo Nibali, because he's riding his last Grand Tour. He's going to bow out at the end of the season. Brian, you and I, we both started our respective careers, if you could call our shambling trajectories through professional cycling thus um, Around about the time, or slightly before, just before in my case, just before Vincenzo Nibali was turning professional, he turned professional in 2004, if I'm not mistaken. And we've seen the whole lot, the whole shebang. And what have you made of Vincenzo Nibali's career? Um, several things. I think, in to a large degree, I think he's been quite underestimated also for what he's achieved. And the reason for this is, I mean, it's one, it's won all three Grand Tours, but he's he's done it in an era of specialization where you know during the period of of team sky and now Ineos, you know the riders were basically on on altitude camp unless they were at the tour they didn't ride that many races they were just very focused and very specialized in 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 that those three weeks in july and and he's won you know twice lombardy he's won san remo i think he's been a lot more generous with his season and also with the length of his career i think he's yeah he has a lot to be a lot to be proud of i i don't know him uh, at all personally even if you know I've, I've certainly been to a fair amount of bike races with him um fantastic descender a great you know a, a 
amazing, amazingly skillful bike rider, but honestly, I don't know. I don't know a single thing about his private life, and and amen to that. That's fine. I don't have to. But he's. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't say he's an enigma. I'm not sure there's that much to tell. I think he's a, he's a family guy like myself. But other than that, I, I don't. I, do you know anything about? Well, I mean, uh, Vincenzo, you want to share with the listeners? Well, my relationship. I mean, not to make this about me, but my relationship with him has been a bit up and down in the sense that I interviewed him. I did a long interview with him when he was turning professional in 2004, and then had quite a good relationship close relationship with him for the next couple of years we had a column with him in pro cycling every year or a small column and i would call him every month and and get an update and he was one of those guys whose you know his phone was his phone number was um was stored in my mobile and i would call him up on a regular basis and, and message him and then towards the end of that decade so sort of 2010 he obviously became more successful became harder to access and then Team Sky started to emerge and I mean it's you have really have to cast your mind back now and remember how how much friction there was at times between Nibali and Team Sky there were there was rumors consistently or certainly um, two or three times over a period of five or six years when he was linked with Team Sky there were rumors that they wanted to sign him I remember Dave Brailsford being a big admirer of his um, but there were also flashpoints in races there was that occasion when he sort of stomped he stormed onto the Team Sky bus in Tour de France wasn't there for I can't even remember what that was about now and um, there was also there were also murmurs sometimes in Nibali's entourage about things they didn't like about Team Sky and and it was the time when Sky and Froome were not very popular generally and I always felt that Nibali and the people around him associated the English press and the English speaking press with Sky and consequently they became quite hostile to us and I had a couple of interviews with Nibali where he got the wrong end of the stick and it seemed to well it seemed to drive a bit of a wedge between between he and and me and um and yeah he was a quite a prickly character certainly after after races at times he was quite a sore loser but in a way i mean i appreciate sore losers i quite like sore losers um they're entertaining and i kind of think that they are authentic and if you feel a certain way about a race then you know there's no reason why you should hide it but nibley certainly fell into that category um he could be quite quite volatile after races but anyway enough about me and Vincenzo Nibli over the years. Should we hear today's Encuentro del Día, which was with Vincenzo Nibli at the start today? So, Rob Hatch, will you introduce us? El Encuentro del Día, the meeting of the day. And Brian, today we're not going to, well, we're going to hear Vincenzo Nibli's voice, but we're going to do a bit of live dubbing. I'm going to tell you exactly what Vincenzo Nibli said and feel free to interject. Otherwise, we'll reconvene at the end of the live dubbing, Brian, and we'll discuss Vincenzo Nibli's words. Ah, dai, profilo sentimentale buono, bello, sicuramente tanto pubblico. Um, he said, yes, it's been, it's been nice, this welter, from a sentimental point of view. I've had a lot of support from the crowd, and it's been really good up until now. But as far as my form's concerned, well, I expected much better. I tried to get ready for this race at the Tour of Burgos, the Vuelta Burgos. I felt pretty good, but I've never had super legs here. I then asked him whether form becomes more predictable, sorry, unpredictable with age. And he said, no, it's, this just happens sometimes. You think you're ready. And, um, and then you get to the race and things just don't click. Um, what I've also noticed over the years, he said, is that I need to do a lot more work to get to a decent level. Everything comes much more easily when you're younger. I asked him whether he was more convinced than ever that he'd made the right decision. He said he was. He was happy to bow out now with Astana, a team that's given, given him a lot. He feels he's given them a lot, but he also wanted to say thank you to them. Um, for for everything they have contributed to his career. Um, he's got no particular holiday or, or sort of treat in mind for him and his family. He's just looking forward to spending some time with them. Um, it's been a couple, a 
tough couple of years with covid and restrictions on travel so he's really looking forward to just going away on a normal holiday with them he says that in future he'll ride his bike for enjoyment he did 18 years as a pro in really big teams Fasa Bortolo, liquid gas bahrain astana they've been intense wearing in some ways and he's looking forward to just relaxing when he goes out for bike rides um others will debate what was your greatest victory i said to him but you know what do you think vincenzo he says it's really hard to say the giro was definitely the race that i was most def- desperate to win as an italian although maybe the tour was the greatest achievement in inverted commas um lombardy was wonderful winning that it's just a beautiful race whereas honestly he never expected to win milan san remo but it's hard to pin down just one victory. And final, finally, final question. I asked himself whether he saw himself getting into one last break going out in style at this Vuelta España. He said he's tried in the mountains over these last few days, but it hasn't been easy. He said that this week he'll give it another go, but he's also focused on helping Superman Lopez, who is very handily placed in the general classification, of course. So there you go, Brian. Um, not quite. It hasn't quite been the final grand tour the grand finale of his grand tour career that he was looking forward to no i mean there's still a few days but but if he doesn't if he says he's not feeling 100 i doubt that he'll he'll be up there his last race i believe will be lombardy which is i think that's perfectly fitting for for his career and for for italian cycling one one thing i i um, i wanted to ask you and i and i'm curious about that he He's obviously, his nickname is Tishar from Messina. He grew up in Sicily. I don't, other than his looks, I don't find him to be Sicilian at all. I know he had his sort of his cycling, his first sort of early formative years were here in Tuscany, actually not far from where I live. But I don't find him Sicilian at all. And I've, I think he's going to stay living in, I believe he lives in Lugano, which is Italian speaking part of Switzerland, but that is probably as far from Sicilian mentality as you, you as you could possibly be. Do you, do you agree? I mean, I'm, I mean... It doesn't have a Sicilian accent when, either. Have you, have you noticed that? Oh, no, I would say... Do you, do you not think he does? I would say he does. I would say he does. Huh? Um, he certainly doesn't have a Tuscan no. one. Um, when, people, when people try to paint some kind of cliche, stereotypical picture of him as a Sicilian, they tend to talk about his hot-headedness. I mean, I alluded to that a minute ago when I said that he's not a particularly good loser or hasn't been generally. I find that to be an Italian thing more than a Sicilian thing. Yeah, and it was also it also used to be said about Fabio Aru. There was this period when they were at Astana together, and Aru, of course, is Sardinian. And Aru was the one who was more temperamental of the two. And and back then, people used to say that that was because he was Sardinian. Um, Brian, you said he'll probably live in Lugano. I think that is on the cards, um, not least because of what he does plan to do later. He was he wasn't very specific about that with me. However, um, there's only one man to turn to really whenever we want specifics on. Vincenzo Nibli and indeed anything on Vincenzo Nibli. We've employed him as our official Vincenzo Nibli correspondent for the last <laughs> nine years um, at, a very, at a very handsome rate. And uh, well, let's hear now from our great friend Ciro Scognamiglio reporting from Italy about Lo Squalo di Messina, the shark of Messina. So the question is, dear listeners, what's next for Vincenzo Nibali? Well, first of all, he will stop with the road races at Lombardy, 8th of October, but we will see him in some mountain bike races and he has the dream to compete also in the Cape Epic. Mm, more, it could be uh, it should be should have a role in the board of a new team, Swiss team, professional team. So immediately after the World Tour, basically in Switzerland, the team manager the team manager should be uh, Doug Ryder, and uh, uh, one of the sponsors should be a brand of clothes for cycling. So Vincenzo Nibali will be in the board a kind of special consultant of this new team. But the most important thing, dear listeners, is an advice that I would like to do to Vincenzo Nibali for this new life after cycling. Vincenzo, you live in Switzerland. Beautiful country, 
beautiful Lugano where you live near the lake. It's marvelous. But Vincenzo, Switzerland has no access to the sea. Why don't you change for a country which has more facility to arrive to the sea? Listen to me, Vincenzo. This is my main advice for you. Ciao. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport, our long-term supporters, still offering 25% off everything at scienceinsport.com, so you can stock up on energy bars and gels and the beta fuel, which I heartily recommend. Even Daniel knows the discount code by now. It's SISCP25. And speaking of Daniel, back to him in Spain. de mañana, la cena de ayer. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's food. Well, Brian, I'm struggling with the cenas de ayer because pretty much every night we have the same menu. Um, not that much variety, I must say. Last night there was definitely some solomillo involved. There was some sirloin steak. Um, the search for vegetarian food, food continues to be futile. But do you know what? I'm going to ask someone who knows Spanish cuisine, knows Andalucía. We were still in Andalucía last night. We were in Seville. What I should have eaten, before we get on to the main event of the evening, which is his wistful gazing, which has now developed, which has now got its own cult following, um, Fran Reyes, what should have been the cena de ayer in Sevilla? Well, the cena de ayer should have been pipirrana. Which oh, is... Oh. Have you ever heard that? No. no. So pipirrana is a kind of... A salad that is made with very small slices of uh, cucumber, onions. Uh, I'm just waiting for the. Sh- there's going to be shrimp or something in there. I'm yes, just, yeah, there yeah. will be. There will be some <laughs> shrimp, but there, there won't be. A, there won't be jamón. No, no, I mean okay. that that solves one of your problems with <laughs> yeah, this well. It's a big problem. Yeah. Do you know what? Did you notice the though. monasterio, the town? Yeah. The town. We Mon- came into the the town um, at the bottom of the climb. It's monasterio. 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 This is a monasterio for the monks, yeah. and the town is called Monasterio, which I don't ah, know. Okay. I frankly don't know where it came from. Um, Yes, I could, I could see Daniel. I could see you. I could see you living in a monastery. Actually, I, was I can definitely see, it, but not this now. one. Not this one, Brian. But um, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you know it? As we came into Monasterio today, there was some kind of sign. Ciudad del, del Jamón, of course, the city of, of of ham. But I think every city, every town in Spain is the town of. Yeah, of but ham. you know, Aracena, the the, the, the stage site for today. Yeah. It's one of the most renowned in Ciudad del Jamón in Spain oh, because wow. it's actually Don't quite tell me that. Co- yeah, <laughs> it's it's actually quite cold uh, when compared to the rest of Andalusia because it it's uh, higher and there is many there are many forests uh, cork uh, for cork trees forests around. Ah, you know, I, we so, did see the beautiful cork trees and in fact, well, go, go on, Fran, go on. Yeah. So this morning. I had a very mild breakfast at some friend's home, and uh, so I decided that I wanted to taste delicious these delicious delicacies from mm. Aracena. Went to a random store and bought myself two euros and a half worth of jamón. Put that into some just made bread yeah. and made me one of the best sandwiches oh, wow. you one could ever wish for, man. Wow, this yeah. is sound. This is starting to turn me on, Fran. The way you're describing yeah. this now, and Fran. <laughs> let, before we get to La Tapa de Mañana, let's go to the. Let's have some wistful gazing because there is there are a few. There could be few better places to wistfully gaze than where we are. You mentioned we're on. We're outside the monastery. We talked about the origin of the monastery's name, actually, Fran, before you arrived. But we we have a 360 degree view. It feels like of the whole of Extremadura up here. Yeah, you know, uh, does anything carry more wistfulness in it 
than former girlfriends. Oh no! Yeah, you know, my, my former girlfriend, she roots from Extremadura. I didn't have any perception about Extremadura. She what? Yeah, she hails from Extremadura. She was born and lived and lived there for most of, of her life. So I came to Extremadura a lot for four years with along with her. I didn't have any perception on the region other than it was poor and underdeveloped. And uh, when I <laughs> and when I came to discover it, I found out that it's much better because it is not underdeveloped. It is virgin, you know. And there's a difference. There is a big difference in that. There is a big difference in that because the villages here in Extremadura are quite small and quite separated from each other. That leaves a lot of space for wilderness to happen, exist, and keep existing. And uh, here, these uh, views we had from atop this uh, monasterio is an excellent example of that. It is. It's absolutely stunning. Um, Extremadura is somewhere that doesn't have a long, well, distinguished history in the Vuelta a España. Certainly, it doesn't figure that much in the Vuelta a España. But I was doing a bit of a search through of the archives today. And one notable occasion when the Vuelta did spend quite a lot of time in Extremadura was 1969. Mm -hmm. Um, The first four stages, in fact, were in Extremadura. And... Well, there was a right, Fred Wright, in the break today. And on the first day in 1969, another British rider called Wright, Michael Wright, took the leader's jersey. He won stage 1B, Badajoz. And um, well, he had an interesting story, Michael Wright. He was born in the UK. Dad died in um, World War II. And his, his mother remarried to a Belgian soldier. And the family then emigrated to Liège. And he grew up in Belgium speaking French as his first language but represented Great Britain um, rode with a small Union Jack sewn onto the sleeves of his jerseys at times Um, and I believe that when he stopped racing he worked as a salesman for a Belgian ice cream company anyway lots of tangents lots of tangents Brian um, I entrusted you with presenting tomorrow's stage Fran you can stay if you want it's optional Um, you're going to stay you're going to stay but Brian's going to tell us what we've got coming tomorrow bit sorry about that friend as much as I, I love your company because you're going to be laughing at my uh, pronunciation of the starting town tomorrow of the of the stage <laughs> I I will try and help you how about you how about you, you do worry. the start and I'll do the finish so where does it start tomorrow it starts from Trujillo Trujillo which is and the, la, the, the the village of the conquerors there you go. which also has one of the most beautiful piazzas pl- plazas in Spain um, the, you know what Brian we were there last year and it was completely new to me I hadn't even heard of it and it reminded me a lot of the Piazza del Campo in Siena not oh, quite wow. as inclined but circular main square and very very beautiful anyway sorry Brian no that's okay well thank you friend uh, yeah and then it um, it, it finishes on the Alto de Piornal and it actually it tackles that climb twice all the climbing more or less is in the second half of the 192 kilometer stage uh, not a yeah it's a hard stage because it's in the last week of the welter but it's not a it's not a crucial stage I think for GC I don't think a lot of damage can be done I think we'll see a, a breakaway style like today of a, of a race and then we'll see a uh, 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 hopefully, see some kind of GC battle at um, in the amongst the favourites. Not sure if you agree, but that's that's my take Did, on it. Well, um, before we just um, spend a moment talking about that, let's just hear at the finish today from Emric Mass. I said earlier that he hinted after the finish today that he had seen something he might be able to capitalise on in the next few days. So let's hear from him and then Ilan Van Wilder, Remco Evenepoel's teammate, about how. He sees Remco's form at the moment, particularly how it's been over the last few days. We know that we don't have the experience for the third week. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to say. Did you see any weaknesses with your competitors? Ah, of course. Uh, competitor. Elan, the, the story that sort of Remco, Remco has told us over the last few days is that he had a, a not quite as good weekend and he's feeling better again now, feeling strong again. I mean, is that how you've seen it? Uh, yes, I have the impression that after the rest day he's, uh, he's better again. Uh, he had some time to relax and to uh, let his body rest uh, also with the crash and stuff. Uh, now it's already a couple of days ago, so it's only getting better. Well, chaps, do we think we'll see an Enric Mass 
attack tomorrow? Um, I mean, is that like asking whether we think we'll see, I don't know, uh, uh, a total lunar eclipse tomorrow? I don't know. You know, it's, it, it would be the first time we see Enrique Mas and Movistar racing like that for nine years. Last time, last time Movistar actually went on the attack on a stage was in 2013, the stage of the Tour de France to Bagnères de Bigorre. Won by Dan Martin. Exactly. The cycling most decorated podcaster, right? So um, that, that was the last day we saw a real total offensive from Movistar. From then on, they have been rather conservative. So if you are playing defensively for the whole season, you can ask a team to go on defensive and be effective. I don't think that uh, we will see much or, or above all, I don't think we will see much effectiveness. Indeed, today, those, those attacks and Rick Massey Fran, today. can you not whip up a bit of excitement? You know, we're, we're broadcasters, we're entertainers, <laughs> yeah. we're supposed to be... We, we have to at least pretend that it's going to be interesting. No, we don't. No, oh, yeah. mass, mass, I mean, you'll be back tomorrow. Yeah. I think people actually only tune in. <laughs> For your wistful gazing, anyway. So. I know I will. Sorry, Brian. No, I know I will. But I've, I agree. I agree with Frank. Actually, this is two against one. I think Enrique Mas actually personifies the the rather dull, conservative take they have on stage racing. And there's not, uh, to be honest, there's, I don't really. There's not a lot of sort of Spanish hoorah passion on you know stemming from that team at all. I, you, you, it's hard to disagree with that, isn't it? I think the. The most action they produce has been in in other races where where Valverde has been been active, but as a as a whole in the Grand Tour, it, it's it's over documented that they are that they are dull at at most, right? Yeah, I mean, are we left we left clinging to the hope there might be some kind of I don't know Superman Lopez tantrum on the final on the penultimate day, and uh, you know that might that might provide a bit of suspense I don't know guys I mean you're making it sound as though it's just going to be an absolute stinker of a last week and um, there's absolutely no, but, can we, can, but, but can we just uh, you know that Lopez now rides for Stano right yes, I do know this I do know this no, you know UA is my great uh, is my greatest hope of seeing something I, I was talking this morning to Joao Almeida because I was telling the, these people in the mix zone that I think Joao Almeida stands a greatest chance of winning the Vuelta than Enrique Mas right now because <laughs> I mean I know I know this this sounds very very hard harsh on Enrique but it's only that Almeida he's in an underdog position he's got, he's getting better and better as days go by he has some internal feud feud how, how is that how, feud feud yeah failed, yeah, right? yeah. An internal feud. on the team yeah. yeah an internal feud in the team with a with a user and is this real be, Fran well, it's not a story that we've followed in any great detail. How much do they dislike each other, do you think? I don't think they dislike each other, but what is quite clear for me is that Ayuso has been challenging Almeida's status on, at the, on the UAE team from the beginning of this year, you know? These, um, these showdowns on the training camp against Bugacar, this way on the Volta Catalunya, how he was writing for himself, actually... And even on this Vuelta, these attacks as, as Mila was getting dropped, this day in Sierra Nevada, on which they seem to be racing each other. You know, Almeida has a point to prove, and he's great in the final days of the ra- of the stage races. So I think, and I think he, he has an, he has an alibi also. I think he has an alibi be- for that exact reason mm-hmm. that they are two riders up there in the GC. And and if if he we saw that today, he when he goes, no one is going to chase him down. Mm-hmm. It's just that he's only. I mean, he's not that far from from. Uh, it's going to take a lot of work, but he's he, he could move into. Top. Yeah. top I think the podium is, is not it's not yeah you think so yeah I think I think I think it, it is it is within reach for him and also I mean, two minutes it's two, it's two minutes yeah it's a minute and, and they have the be- and UAE they have two. the best team in the race because they have Jean Polank Mark Soler Random McNulty who are all riders that are riding yeah. more or less well are riding into the race and, uh, and if they, they also want lead, to lead in team classification uh, yeah. Oh, well, that, 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 that that proves my point. No, but uh, but you know, if they want to play tactically, strategically, either tomorrow or well, either on any of these three days that are coming, they are the team that is better placed and better suited 
it's only a shame that Almeida is seven minutes back. Well, chaps, we're not far from yeah. Portugal actually here, and I don't know whether it's the Portuguese air wafting over, but I'm starting to get excited, or you know, your powers of persuasion <laughs> are starting to make me believe that we're going to have a cracking few days. I've completely changed my mind in the last few minutes, and I'm a believer it's a now. Wish for, it's, now a wi- it's a wish. It's a wishful gaze now. <laughs> yeah, it's a wishful gaze. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm I'm very much in the camp of uh, Joao Almeida winning this Vuelta a España, and well, tune in tomorrow to hear how how he's going to do it or how he's he's done the first quarter of it anyway um and that just about includes well it's about as much entertainment as we can take for one night <laughs> and as much wishful thinking <laughs> and um well brian i've got lucky larry warbass tomorrow for that spanish inquisition we're gonna haul him over the coals for what he said yesterday in the podcast and fran we're going to have you back, I'm sure, tomorrow. Are we? Yeah, we, we've got some elevation tomorrow as well on the Alto de Piornal, so you'll be able to gaze to your heart's content from up there. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to thank you. Any any tips on Extremaduran cuisine? It's more embutidos, more yeah. cured meat, I, I saw today. Meat. Yeah. yeah, above all, it's meat. Okay, okay. Um, You're going to leave this world a very hungry then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I weigh less than Kenny Ellison at the moment. Um, anyway... Thank you, chaps. Um, Look forward to hearing from you, Brian. We'll be hearing from you at the weekend. Fran, like I say, tomorrow. And, um, well, you can't get rid of me. I'm here every day. So, um, until tomorrow. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Byrne. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.